Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the I'll Take You There edition, as we head to Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine. Coming up, you'll hear from three outstanding guests, Greg Cosell from NFL Films, NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport, and Dane Brugler, NFL draft expert for The Athletic. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Peter King. This past Monday in his weekly Football Morning in America column, Peter King announced that he's retiring after covering the NFL for 44 years. It's worth noting that he got his start covering the Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer. I've been a fan of his for ages, and when I got the Bengals play-by-play job, I made it a point to try to talk with Peter whenever he was around the team. In one of our first conversations, Peter learned that I used to be the radio announcer for the Pawtucket Red Sox, Boston's AAA team at that time, and he began peppering me with questions. How long were the bus rides? What were Dustin Pedroia and John Lester like at that age? The questions kept coming, and I realized... That's what makes Peter so great, his unquenchable curiosity and attention to detail. There has never been a better sports reporter. Monday mornings aren't going to be quite as enjoyable for us, but I'm happy they are going to be a lot more relaxing for Peter King. Now, let's get to the scouting combine. It's become the unofficial start of the upcoming NFL season as front office execs coaches, scouts, and media descend on Indianapolis to get a first-hand look at this year's draft prospects and discuss possible moves in free agency. One person I always look forward to talking to is Greg Cosell from NFL Films and the ESPN Matchup Show. He's been covering the NFL for more than four decades. Greg, let's start with some of the hottest topics among Bengals fans. Top of the list T. Higgins. They have franchise tagged him. They're going to have him for at least one more year. With the likelihood of losing Tyler Boyd, was paying T the right thing to do, in your opinion? I really like Tyler Boyd, but I think it's more important to have T. Higgins than Tyler Boyd. And I'm not suggesting that you can just pull a slot receiver out of the sky, but I think it's a, a position that you can find someone in the context of that offense more so than you can find a T. Higgins. T. Higgins is 6'3", 215. He's a vertical dimension. He, he runs those in-breaking routes really well. People take those in-breaking routes and traffic for granted. You know, because Burrow's a really, you know, Burrow turns the ball loose. He's, he's got no problem turning it loose. And those in-breaking routes in traffic, you know, those, not every receiver will do that. And I think you can't take those for granted. So T. Higgins was a player I really like when he came out of Clemson. He's had a really good career. Obviously, he's been injured a little bit here and there. But I think he's... If you had to choose one, and teams have to make these kinds of choices, as you know, Dan, they have to make these kinds of choices, I think T. Higgins is a more valuable asset overall than Tyler Boyd, that he's less replaceable. 
is spending $20.6 million on T. Higgins, the best use of that money to try to keep the band together, so to speak, for another year? Well, now that gets into a lot of questions that I don't have the answer to because of how they the cap and how they structure and work their cap. I know the cap went up significantly, so I don't know how all that works. Um, I will say this. I think that when you have a great quarterback, and, and I don't use the word great loosely, and Joe Burrow's a great quarterback, you do not want to leave him bereft of weapons. I always think that, you know, we all know you want a good O-line. We get all that. that I mean, that's a given. But I do not think when you have a, a really great quarterback, a high-level quarterback, that you do not want to leave him bereft of what, particularly a quarterback that is aggressive throwing the ball versus one-on-one coverage. That's one thing we've seen with Joe Burrow. When it's one-on-one, he's going to throw it. And that's just innate. He's, he's going to throw it. And you need receivers who can win one-on-one and, and win in multiple ways. You know, Chase is an explosive guy. He can make contested catches, but he's such an explosive mover and route runner. Higgins, not as explosive, but big, and, and he'll go up and get it. And, you know, I think that receivers become really important. You do not want to leave the cupboard bare when you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow. Let's move to tight end. I know you've studied Brock Bowers. If you surveyed 100 Bengals fans, he would probably be the fantasy draft pick for most of them. We don't know if he'll be there at number 18. It's probably unlikely. But how good is Brock Bowers? I mean, Brock Bowers on tape is really, really good. He moves like a wide receiver. He, in some ways, is a wide receiver. Although, I will say this, because Georgia does run more of a conventional NFL-type offense with a, with a kind of a conventional run game. He does work to block. I mean, he's obviously not the best blocking tight end, but he he gives effort and he works at it. And I remember having a conversation years ago with a coach who was on the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs, when Tony Gonzalez came up, and he was a great athlete, played basketball, you know, a receiver, and they say he was not a good blocker, but they said he worked at it. And as, as long as you work at it, you can be more than functional. And Bowers is that guy. He can be more than functional as a blocker. Of course, it depends how you deploy him, but he is a really good receiver. The the issue is, and we've seen this with other athletic tight ends, sometimes I feel like teams struggle with how to deploy those guys within the context of their offense. Um, And one coach was saying that, you know, you look, Atlanta sort of had a difficult time figuring out Kyle Pitts, exactly how to use him, really athletic tight end, who I believe was the fourth pick in the draft. I mean, sometimes, you know, we we know that obviously the Chiefs use Kelsey, have used him really well, but some coaches, it's, it's kind of a balancing act of how do you use those guys, but Bowers is phenomenal. Um, looks like a wide receiver, moves like a wide receiver, ridiculously good run after catch, balance, body control. I mean, guy looks like a ballerina sometimes. The Bengals typically have not relied heavily on their tight end. Uh, during the Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow era, they've had solid production. C.J. Uzama, Hayden Hurst, right. even Tanner Hudson gave them some decent production this past season. Is that a position that they should be looking to get more out of? Well, there's only so many targets to go around. That's the problem. I mean, you know, for the last three years or so, I mean, with Burrow, they've had Higgins, Chase, and Boyd. I mean, it's easy to say throw the ball to the tight end more, but then someone else is not getting the ball. So that gets into the whole process of how they structure their offense methodology, you know, what's the approach, 
then what's the approach then in a given week against a given opponent? You know, I think it's easy to look at a number on a page and see targets go, well, they got to use a tight end more. But there's only so many balls to go around. So if they lose Boyd and maybe they feel they don't have the same quality slot this year, then maybe the tight end, whoever it turns out to be, would become a bigger factor. But when you've got three wideouts like that, you know, imagine if all of a sudden they were throwing the ball. I mean, you get, fans may not think of it this way. Imagine if all of a sudden they were throwing the ball to, uh, you know, Uzama, who you know wasn't there this year, but Tanner, whoever it was, and, and then you look at the sheet and you see Chase only has three targets. People would say, well, why aren't they throwing the ball to Jamar Chase? There's only so many balls to go around, so many passes. We're visiting with the great Greg Cosell. Let's talk about Joe Mixon, another hot topic for Bengals fans. He ran for more than 1,000 yards. He had 12 combined uh, touchdowns between rushing and receiving this year. But the explosive plays weren't there. He'll be 28 in July. This is going to be his eighth NFL season. What do you think of Joe Mixon at this stage of his career? Yeah, I think he's lost a little bit just because he's played a long time he's been kind of a volume carrier um he's a physical player so i mean i'm sure there's wear and tear i always really like joe mixon as a player i think he's had a really nice career um probably still a good player and certainly knows the system and all those things that are very important by the way um but if they truly felt like they could be better at the position without losing anything mentally from whoever they put out there it would not surprise me if they felt that they could move on. I just, watching him run, and like I said, I remember watching him in Oklahoma, and he was a great receiver. They split him out there. He was a great runner. He was, he was an explosive back early in his career. So I just think he's not quite the same guy. Let's talk about Dax Hill. I know you liked him coming out of Michigan. This was his first year as a starter, and it was a mixed bag. Right. What did you think of Dax Hill this year at safety? Just what you said. I, I think that he doesn't see it as quickly as you want, you know, but again, he's still a young player. Second year, right? He just played this will be his third. third he didn't yeah. play much as a rookie. Right. So he's basically been a one-year player at safety. So these are, these are the hard questions organizations have to decide. The guy, and it's funny, I had a chance yesterday to sit and talk with Jim Harbaugh for a half hour in the Dome, and I asked him about Dax Hill. I was just curious, you know, because I didn't want to ask him about his play, you know. So I asked him about Dax Hill, and he said... <clears throat> that he wants to be a safety because they they really wanted him to be a corner because he's got great corner traits, but he wants to be a safety. So the, the sort of the compromise at at Michigan was that they made him their nickel in in um you know in, in their sub defenses, but he wants to be a safety. He does not want to play outside corner, even though he has those traits. I think you have to give him another year to see because he is a he's a physical specimen he can run um he, he just he's a great athlete he's a great athlete and he's long so to me you have to work with him coach him and if he can get beyond that and see things better he could become a really really good player jonah williams is heading into free agency the bengals are likely to have a different starting right tackle for the fifth consecutive year do fifth you, consecutive year, it would be wow. the fifth consecutive year, yeah. Do yeah. you consider this to be an unusually good tackle draft, as many people do? Yeah, I do. I mean, again, you don't know how boards play out and you don't know how drafts play out, but my guess is there would be a tackle there at 18 if they felt they needed. They're not going to get J.C. Latham. They're probably not going to get the Oregon State kid, Fuaga, who I really love. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, I, I think there's tackles to get, and, and even beyond pick 18. You know, the question, the big question always becomes, can the guy line up and play as a rookie? Because that's what you're ultimately saying. If they need to fill the position, you know, if they draft a guy in the third round, the likelihood of him stepping in as a starter, you know, what people I think need to understand about the draft is there's reasons, you know, guys get drafted where they get drafted. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not examples where fourth-round picks come right in and play and they're really good. I, you know, obviously that does happen. But in terms of overall evaluation of players, as you get lower in the draft, it's because there are more warts in a guy's game in terms of projection and transition. So, but but it's a there are guys I think in this you know there's a Patrick Paul from Houston you know guys like that that you may well be able to get in the third round and I don't know if he's a day one starter maybe he is but you can get a tackle in this draft let me hit you on some of the other first round candidates so assuming you're right and Fuaga and Latham are not there most of the other people I've talked to don't think Alt will be there from Notre Dame maybe you disagree but then you've got Fashanu from Penn State Mims from Georgia Fautanu from Washington. Fontanu from Washington. Yep. Guyton from Oklahoma. Any of those guys really move you? Haven't done Guyton yet, so I can't speak okay. about him. And he, you know, but he's a one-year starter and a one-year player. Mims is probably the most intriguing and most polarizing tackle in this draft class because he's played about as much football as you and I. <laughs> and but yet his size and his traits get people excited. I'd be very surprised if he's a day one starter. Be very surprised. Mm. He just hasn't played a lot of football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the game that people point to is actually the the game against Ohio State back two years ago, um, you know, in the playoff game because mm-hmm. he played the full game. Um, but this year he was in and out of the lineup. Because he was hurt, his tape, to me, wasn't very good. But I'm, I'm, I'm loath to judge him on that mm-hmm. because it was clear he was hurt. Um so he just hasn't played a lot of football. Now, that doesn't mean in three years he might not be a great right tackle. I spoke with with uh, someone who thinks that this guy could be phenomenal, but he's not going to be ready week one. So, again, now you get into the free agency end. You know, you need someone to line up at right tackle. It's probably not going to be an all-pro Hall of Famer this year. You know, but you need someone who you can line up with and feel and trust him and feel that he can pass protect. All right, I've got a potential name for you. The Bengals' offensive line coach is Frank Pollock. Well, he was with the Jets. He's been doing yeah. it a long time. He was with the Jets when they drafted Mackay Becton, who's obviously had injury problems in his four NFL seasons. Do you view him as somebody worth taking a flyer on? I do. He's big. He's athletic. Um, he'd certainly be worth it, maybe a change of environment. You know, obviously Pollock knows him. Um, yeah, I think he'd be worth a flyer. I mean, again, now you get into... Uh, who knows what the money is? You know, that, that's a whole different question. Um, but, yeah, I think it's worth I mean, look, when you, when you have a position where you're going to need competition in bodies, you're going to have to take flyers on people. Because, other, you know, you're not waiting around for a Hall of Famer. That's not going to happen. So you need competition. You need to bring bodies in and see how it shakes out. And, and yeah, I would, I mean, look, I remember Beckton, you know, he hasn't done great, obviously, in his NFL career, injuries, whatever reason. But I remember watching him, I believe it was Louisville he came out of. And, you know, you're talking about a big athletic guy. I mean, he is, he's really athletic for his size. So, yeah, I would, that's worth a flyer. DJ Reader is a free agent. He's coming off a major injury. Yeah. Do the Bengals need to significantly address interior, defensive line, and free agency in the draft? It needs to be addressed. 
they'll decide how much of a priority is relative to the other things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Their run defense was not exactly what they would have hoped a year ago. They need to address that. They need to be better there. You know, Reader, I, I always liked Reader as a player, but, you know, he's he's played a lot of snaps now, coming off a major injury. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, that, that, that needs to be addressed. Have you looked at defensive linemen in this draft? Some. I mean, I personally think there could be someone there at 18 that they could mm-hmm. – that could be available. I mean, the, to me, the number one guy that and and no one doesn't love him because you can't. I mean, he's one of those guys, and that's Murphy from Texas. Whether he's there remains to be seen. There's some people who think, other than quarterback, he's one of the two or three best prospects in this draft. But you know, usually defensive tackle is not a position you draft super high particularly in a draft that has the quarterbacks and that has the receivers. You know, normally that happens first, normally. Um, he's really a good prospect. He's a really good prospect. His name comes up a lot. Johnny Newton from Illinois is the him. other name. Not as good a prospect in my view, but pretty, but a good prospect. He would definitely be there at 18 if you like him. You know, he's one of those guys that you might not see him as the 18th best player on your board I, I i like the player i think he'll be a good pro um he's not as explosive as newton um and i think but i think he's a good prospect i don't know if you'd have him 18th on your board but again when you start getting into needs like let's say he's 23rd on your board and i don't know you know that what you could take him at 18 and that's not a reach you just don't want to take him at 18 if he's 43rd on your board you know that's what teams start getting into trouble Tavondre Sweat's name comes up not as a first-round pick, but as somebody that might make sense for the Bengals in trying to have that interior run-stopping type defensive lineman. He weighed in at more than 360 pounds yesterday. Uh, had some trouble in some of the agility drills. He slipped trying to do a spin move. What do you think of Sweat? Well, he's going to have to lose weight. I can tell you that. I mean, he's not going to play in the NFL at 366, but he does have light feet for a big man. Um, so he's not just a big fat guy, but he would have to lose weight. I think he'd obviously be a run defender. You know, he's not, you're not, see to me that that's not a first round pick. Like I would not pick him at 18. Even if you love the player, I would not pick him at 18. Now, I don't know how teams feel about him. I don't know what their draft boards look like. I think you'd need him to lose 30 pounds, and I, but he does have light feet for a man that size. You know, he, he did struggle in a few drills, but there were also a few other drills because I was in the dome where he looked pretty good. You know, you kind of went, oh, God, he's moving pretty well for a 366-pound guy. Um, but, you know, who knows what he could be if he got down to 330, you know, which is really what he probably should be. Now, again, you would assume Texas has great facilities, you know, probably have money for nutritionists and all that. You'd have to do your due diligence there. You'd have to find out if he's the problem or if, for some reason, Texas didn't handle it. You know, that's where you have to find those things out. If, if, if you find out he's the problem... That becomes a concern, you know, because then what's to lead you to believe that it's going to get better in the NFL? I think he told reporters yesterday that he believes his best playing weight is in the 360s. Well, I don't want to sit here and say he's wrong, but he's wrong. He's not going to play at 366. I mean, I don't think there's any team that would say that at 366 he's okay. Joe Burrow's cap hit this year is 29.7 mil. It jumps to 46.25 next year. 
do you view this as a crucial year? Because the Bengals have some cap room right, right. to add quality depth through free agency while they can. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you have because Burrow, you know, you're not getting rid of Joe Burrow and you're not trying to mess around with him. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, that's the way the quarterbacks are paid and the cap's going up. You know, the league's doing great. The TV money is rolling in, you know. Yeah, so, you, you know, this is a year where you want, you, you would love to be able, not only with free agency, but the draft as well, to really get, even if they're not day one starters, a lot of depth, a lot of competition, guys you feel can become starters, or, or guys that you feel sure up a given position. Um, yeah, this, so if there's cap space, then you really, this becomes a really important year. Because what are you going to do with Burrow? Are you going to go to him and say, we want to renegotiate? That's probably not going to happen. I, I don't think, you know, you would know more. I don't think that's going to happen. Not going to happen. No. Yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Not going to happen. So we crossed paths here for the first time a couple of days ago, and right off the bat, you were talking about how eager you were to, to see Joe Burrow back healthy and, oh, yeah. and leading the way next year. Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow, to me, and, and you know, I'm a purist because of how I was taught the position, and, I, and believe me, I've changed. You have to change your point of view because of the way the quarterbacks, as they grow up now, they're far more athletic. There's far more plays above the X's and O's off script. That does factor into an evaluation far more than it ever did. And you have to accept that, and you've got to, you sort of have to embrace it. I mean, that's, we, you know, we see Patrick Mahomes. We see him make plays. We see Josh Allen. We see these plays being made. You know, Lamar Jackson, you see them every week. Um, and Burrow certainly is not unathletic, as you know, but Burrow to me is just a, high-level, nuanced, detailed, subtle, discipline, discipline craft quarterback. And I love watching those kinds of quarterbacks. Guys who can, can just control the game, know where to go with the ball. You know, if you want to get really simplistic about quarterback, but it is true, you know, ultimately you want your quarterback to be able to know who to throw the ball to, throw it to that guy at the right time with the right kind of throw. That's ultimately what you want your quarterback to do, with accuracy, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, Burrow's really, really good. And you know what I love about Burrow? And, and the tape tells you this. And I imagine on the sideline there's great conversations because he is so mentally into the game. You can tell watching the game, and I'm just talking about tape, you know, not TV. I'm watching the tape that what he's seeing and how he's adjusting to it. Like, I feel like he's a master at that. And you would know, you know, that just to me comes across watching the tape. And that's a trait. There's a lot of guys who are gifted. And there's a lot of guys who can make plays and, you know, but I feel like he's kind of a, a chess master. Like he's always figuring something out as the game is being played. Very good description. I love coming to the Combine, and one of my uh, favorite reasons is running into you. I really appreciate your time as always. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet, designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Nearly all of the NFL's movers and shakers can be found in Indianapolis during the Combine, including NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. I spent a few minutes picking his brain, and here's Ian on Dan Pitcher taking over as offensive coordinator after Brian Callahan got the head coaching job in Tennessee. 
It was critical. And I'll tell you what, like, Dan Pitcher's not a household name. Um, I mean, I'm sure Bengals fans know who he is, but most people probably don't. He was going to be a coordinator, absolutely. Like, uh, Kelly getting a head coaching job was interesting because it immediately was like, all right, well, you know, how do they reply? And I think the league was like, wait, this guy was going to be our coordinator. And there were several teams who I think were really hoping and planning to hire Dan Pitcher, said the Bengals were like, oh, no, no, like, this is going to be our guy. But that's that's why good teams are good, right? Because when a player goes down, you can f- you can have a good player fill in for him. When a coach gets hired, you can say, well, I'm not only – I can not only promote the next really good offensive coordinator, but this is probably the next guy who can be a really good head coach. And, like, that's how you should develop talent all across an organization. Have you heard any scuttlebutt about the possibility of a tag-and-trade with T. Higgins? You always hear a scuttlebutt. That's what the combine is for. Um, the Bengals tagged T. Higgins early. And, you know, I, I listened to the um, Duke Tobin response today saying that we tagged him early because we knew what we were going to do. Definitely believe it. Duke does, does not lie. So I you know, 100% believe that that is the truth. But it also did show teams that, I'm not saying he's available, but that he's under contract, that if something were to happen, they could do it. T. Higgins is awesome. And... He's going to get a new contract, a massive new contract, and he should. Is it with the Bengals? Probably, but the cap went up really high. The Bengals value draft picks immensely. So could another team make a deal that would make it worth their while? Maybe, because everything has a price, right? And so like, if you're Cincy and you say, like, we love Jamar Chase, we like to pay him too, we love draft picks, like, surely there's some way it can make sense. Either way, T. Higgins is going to be very, very highly paid and probably play for a very good team. How realistic is it to pay Burrow, Chase, and Higgins long-term? You can do it. You could definitely do it. But you have to cut out elsewhere. Now, the cap went up more than anticipated, so I think that's significant. But it also means agents are going to be asking for more, for all, all across, all across the board. Um, and so, you know, you can do it, but then you're saying, like, we're not going to pay as much for this backup tackle. We're not going to pay as much for this guard, this fourth linebacker, or whatever it is like the money is not finite so it's all about what decisions you make now there's two schools of thought you could be like we're going to pay all receivers to support joe burrow or you can do what the chiefs do and go we got patrick mahomes we trust that he's going to develop just these guys whoever they are and we'll blow it up on defense there are options in how you win it's going to be fascinating to see what direction the Bengals go Another scuttlebutt question. Is there any talk out there about Joe Mixon possibly being a cap casualty? You know, this is like the third year in a row that we're doing this, and I will say the same thing as I always do. Is there talk? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. But it's such a good – it fits so well that, I, you know, you got to think they can figure out a way to make this work. I just – you know, I'm, I'm callous to this, but, like, you see guys in different uniforms all the time. Just not so sure I see it in this case. We'll see. The Borough contract really becomes significant in terms of the cap next year. Yes. I think it's $46 million next year. So they've got cap space right now. Do you view this as a crucial offseason for the Bengals in terms of free agency in building roster depth? 100%. This is how you do it, right? You take when you got space, you spend, spend wisely, and then you buckle them for the years you don't have space. So, yeah, I would say... As critical, now last year was probably a little more critical just because of the Joe contract, but um, I think it's a big decision to make. And with that, Ian was hustled off to his next interview. 
but I did appreciate a few minutes of his time. He's part of the NFL's live coverage of the Combine, and coverage starts at 1 o'clock on Saturday and on Sunday. Finally, the primary reason the NFL descends on Indianapolis is to study draft prospects. The Bengals have the 18th overall selection this year and a total of nine picks. They have extras in the fifth round and seventh round. For an in-depth look at the most likely possibilities in round one, I spoke to Dane Brugler, the draft guru for The Athletic. Dane, at the moment, the Bengals need a starting right tackle. They have the 18th pick in the draft. Should they be able to find a plug-and-play right tackle at 18? Hopefully. Yeah, if you're the Bengals, that's that's the word. Um, this is a good year if you need offensive tackles in, in the top 20. It's just a matter of do you project them as day one guys? Is this, you know, like I love Amarius Mims from Georgia. Love him. This is, if you're going to build an offensive tackle in a lab, that's what it looks like. Um, you know, the way he's built, 6'7, 330, um, it, very low fat percentage, body fat percentage. The length is outstanding. I can't wait to see him move here at the combine. But eight career starts, you know, what kind of projection are we talking about with him? Tyler Guyton, kind of the same thing, who uh, another freak athlete is going to test really well here, is going to move really well. Um, do you trust him enough with where he is currently in his development to put him out there at right tackle from day one? Uh, I think the answer to that question will be different from team to team. Some teams will be a little more optimistic and say, yeah, I think we can, I think he'll be okay for us. Um, other teams will be more skeptical. So, I, I do think that there, there's not a consensus answer. Team to team will look at it a little bit differently. And for the Bengals, you know, they, they've got a chance to probably draft one of those guys. And if they do, we know they're probably going to see the field pretty early and it's going to be a sink or swim situation. Mims and Guyton are both 6'7 guys. You gave the measurables on Amarius Mims. Let me ask you this question. What tackle should we not get our hopes up for? Who's almost certain to be gone by 18? Uh, I mean, Joe Alt, Notre Dame, I think he's the best tackle in this class. I think he's the best combination of everything that you want. Um, and I, I love his backstory. You know, his dad was a pro bowler for Joe Montana, blocking for Joe Montana in the early 90s. But his dad didn't he didn't want his son to be an offensive lineman right away. He was a skill position player. You know, he wanted to be, him to be an athlete. And even in high school, he was a, a quarterback and tight end. It wasn't until his senior year that he really started moving to tackle. And that... I think really helped him be an athlete first, then become a lineman. Um, and the development that he's shown year over year in Notre Dame the last three years has been tremendous. So um, to me, he's, uh, you know, he moves a lot like different body type, but he moves a lot like Jake Matthews uh, with the Falcons. And, you know, if you have a chance to get a Jake Matthews type of player somewhere in the top 15, you're going to do it. So I don't think he's going to last. Um, you know, I think Olu Fashinu, there's not a consensus like he's, he's, a top 10 guy among with teams just mostly because of the run uh, blocking stuff is not up to par with his pass protection but still a really quality player I don't expect him to be there Talese Fawaga not as freaky as these other guys but you can make the argument he's the best football player of the group and at the end of the day that's what we're drafting football players and so I think Fawaga will be gone at that point so uh, I think the, another interesting name to keep in mind is uh, the Washington left tackle uh, Troy Fontenot who is in my opinion, I think best at guard, but he can play tackle. So I think he has the length for it. He has the feet for it. I like him in terms of maximizing what he can be as an inside player, but the Bengals might see him as a tackle, and so he's another name to keep in the mix. 
You covered most of the tackles I have listed in front of me. One name you did not mention was J.C. Latham from Alabama. Do you see him as a right tackle or as a guard? I, he's a right tackle, and I think that he might be the strongest player in the entire draft. I mean, he is that type of dude. Um, I don't think he'll be there, but there's a chance because, uh, you know, a team's going to look at him as a right tackle only. Um, you know, that might affect how teams uh, draft him. He's only played right tackle at Alabama. Um, and so that, that that's a factor here. Good chance he comes off the board in the top 15 picks, top 16 picks. But if you were to be there at 18, I think he'd make a lot of sense. We're talking to the athletics draft guru, Dane Brugler. Let's say for whatever reason... The tackles that they like are all gone when they're on the board at 18. They also have a needed defensive tackle. What guys do you like as potential first-round picks in that spot? I love Byron Murphy, um, you know, defensive tackle from Texas. He, he's not necessarily exactly how you draw it up. He's only six foot, uh, but he is over 300 pounds. And I was talking to him last week, just getting ready for the combine, and um, just kind of talking about because he's a freak athlete. I mean, he's going to run on the four eights. He's going to put up thirty five reps on the bench. Um, just talking, talking about his journey as a freak athlete. He never saw himself playing defensive line. He saw himself as an NFL running back. And then in high school, uh, he was a linebacker. And his sophomore year, they put this pressure package together where he they moved him down to the defensive line. And they did it once, did it twice, and it worked too well because they're like, all right, you're staying here. We're going to add weight to you. And, uh, yeah, he, he broke Von Miller's sack record at DeSoto High School in Texas. Uh, it really started to blossom. And then this past year at Texas was – he had the highest pass rush win percentage among all interior defensive tackles. Um, long story short, I don't think he's going to be there at 18. But if he is, that's – to me, that would be the easy no-brainer pick. Johnny Newton's a really good player, too. Um, coming off the foot injury, won't see him work out here. But um, I, what I love most about Newton, the guy that you see in the fourth quarter with five minutes left to go, the same hustle, the same effort you're seeing with the first play of the game. He plays 60-plus snaps a game, and still it, the motor is still revving. Uh, he is a really impressive player. Um, not going to fit in terms of the length, in terms of what size measurements, what teams are looking for, not going to be a fit for everybody. But I think there's a lot there where you're just this is a good football player, uh, both against the run and against the pass. So Newton somewhere, say between 18, 18's probably the earliest I would see him going, 18 to 35, somewhere in that range is where I see Newton come off the board. DJ Reader is a free agent. He's also coming off an injury. He's been the Bengals' best run-stopping defensive tackle, so that could be a need as well. I think you have Tavondre Sweat in the 30s on your your big board. Big 360-pound nose tackle type. Uh, Wouldn't be a first-round pick in all likelihood, but could possibly be uh, of interest in the second round for the Bengals. What should we know about Sweat? We think he's 360, but it could be higher than that. Uh, he is a big boy, but it's, it doesn't look like he's overweight. Like he just carries this all this muscle mass and this body weight uh, really naturally for him. So much power in his legs and his upper body. During the Senior Bowl one on ones, he was just bullying guys backwards, and it's all over his tape too. But he moves with agility uh, for a guy that size. So he's moving laterally, making plays versus a run. He's not just a uh, I'm gonna be a nose tackle eat up doubles and uh, double teams and uh you know play in my square and that's it he has some range to him now 
can he play 40-plus snaps a game and still give you that same range every single play? That That's kind of the question mark. Um, that's why we're probably talking about more of a second-rounder than a first-rounder. But what he did this past year uh, for Texas, him and Murphy working together was really impressive. So if you asked 100 Bengals fans who they would like to see Cincinnati select this year, 99 would probably say Brock Bowers. That seems to be the fantasy pick at number 18. I personally don't think it's realistic, but is there a universe where Brock Bowers, for whatever reason, could be there at 18? You, you don't rule it out because uh, it's the position that he plays. There will be a lot of teams that won't even consider a tight end. It doesn't matter how good you are. They're not going to consider a tight end in the top top half of round one and so then you so you eliminate those teams then you eliminate the teams that already have a, a tight end they're not going to draft one and how many teams do you have left you know it's maybe the Colts at 15 um, maybe if the Chargers trade back from five like it's it, when you do a mock draft it could be hard to find exact landing spots that make a ton of sense but I'm with you I'd be very surprised just because he's that too good you know he's a top 10 player in this draft um He's. You have to have a plan for him because he's not just a traditional wide tight end. Line him up in line, and we'll run our offense. You have to. He, the versatility with his athleticism is what makes him special. What makes him a weapon. You have to be able to tap into that. So you're lining him up wide. He's going to be in the slot. He's going to be in line backfield. You have to be creative with him. And he's so good. He's so athletic before the catch. He's going to get open. He's so strong at the catch. He's going to win. It doesn't matter what crowd's around him. He's going to win contested balls. And then he's the master of the hidden yards after the catch. Seven-yard gains for most tight ends. He's getting 11 because he's just he, he turns into a running back. He's hard to bring down. So, you know, the Brock Bowers conversation is, yeah, you have to – you look around the league and you see a lot of second, third, fourth-round tight ends that are doing just fine. You're paying a premium with a first-round tight end, but – when you think about the impact he can make on your offense and if your play caller is on board with making sure you're utilizing him to maximize the cost, I yeah, you're getting a steal at that point. Dane Brugler from The Athletic is our guest. I think a lot of those Bengals fans who have locked in on Brock Bowers as their fantasy draft pick don't even know the other tight ends in this mm-hmm. draft. He's obviously not the only one. Who are some of the other ones you like? I think if you're looking second round, Jatavion Sanders from Texas is a really athletic player. Um, wish he put more on film in the red zone, but that's just not how Texas offense operated. Um, once you get into the third round, I, I really like the TCU kid, Jarrett Wiley. He's a good player. Um, Cade Stover from Ohio State. Theo Johnson, Penn State. It's not a great tight end class, uh, especially in the first two rounds. But I think third round, fourth round, fifth round, there are more than a few names that make sense if you're looking for a true Y, if you're looking for more of a joker tight end, if you're looking for a combo guy that can do a little bit of both. So, yeah, this, this draft, I think, at tight end, if you're willing to be patient, there, there are definitely some really talented players that could end up paying, outplaying where they're drafted. The Bengals have franchise tag T. Higgins. I think most of us expect him to be in Cincinnati for one more year, and then it might be unrealistic to keep both Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Should the Bengals be looking for a T. Higgins replacement in this draft? Because it seems like there are always some great wide receivers out there. Yeah, I think you, obviously, maybe not with your first-round pick or maybe not with your second-round pick, but sure, yeah, you always keep an open mind to, you know, wide receivers become... It's always been an important position, but it's become even more so with just today's modern-day NFL. Um, so, yeah, you keep an eye on who's someone we can develop, who's someone that is not going to cost us uh, a premium pick, but two years from now is going to be someone that's going to, we expect to be competing for a starting job. So, 
you know, whether that's uh, a, a Troy Franklin in the second round or, um, you know, I think in my top 100 I had 17 receivers in there. I mean, it's just I'm convinced the rest of the time every year is going to be strong at receiver because that's, that's where all the athletes go. If you're not good enough to play quarterback, you're going to receiver uh, in high school and youth football and all that. So, you know, you're developing at that position and you really have a chance to shine. So, uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, you look at receiver. Um, I'm not sure how early they would actually pull the trigger there, but uh, th- if you're gonna, if you want a position with depth, wide receiver this year certainly has it. And so you don't have to go that position early. You can wait till the fourth round, still come away with a pretty good player. You've been doing this for a while. Your draft guide, the beast, is the best one out there. Have the Bengals? developed a draft personality or a prototype in your mind when you think Bengals yeah. is there something where the draft is concerned that you say all right that's a Cincinnati Bengals kind of guy I think well first of all when you're doing a mock draft you don't bother trading you know moving around with the Bengals you know they're gonna stick a pick right um I was thinking about that with my last mock draft like oh what would they move up six spots to get Brock back it's the Bengals what are we talking about no they're not gonna do that um but I think that they they do place a premium on the the key positions, you know, whether defensive line, offensive line, um, quarterback, wide receiver, corner, you know, like th- this is a team that it feels like that's it with those early picks, those first rounders specifically, they want to get the premium position right, and they look at their draft history with the way they've they've drafted, it certainly certainly looks like they want to do so this year. Right tackle makes a ton of sense. If they want to get better on defensive tackle, um, yeah, I, I think they're a meat and potatoes type of team when it comes to drafting. They don't, you know, maybe John Ross is the last time they really got caught up in maybe like the flash of a player instead of focusing on maybe just the the premium that that, that he can the player can bring you. So, yeah, this is a, a team that I wouldn't say they're easy to project by any means, but uh, I think we have a better feel for the type of player they usually go after. I am one of approximately 500 people looking for your time here at the NFL Scouting Combine. I promised to keep it under 15 minutes, and I succeeded. Thank you so much. Look forward to devouring the beast. All right, anytime. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet, designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast. <laughs>